Welcome to Sisflix, the podcast where we won't judge you for talking through the movie. Sisflix are the movies you laugh at, yearn for, and overanalyze with your girls, significant others, and now us. We are your hosts, Paola and Naja, two sisters and designers who discuss chick flicks we hate to love, tropes we love to hate, and all of the aesthetic choices in between. Join us as we break down our favorite movies together. Hey, sister. Hey, I'm sister. Uh, very glad to be talking to you today. Me too. Yeah, I miss your guts. I miss you. The world has felt super heavy the past couple of days, so I'm excited into getting into this movie and talking about love. The movie that we are discussing today. Sometimes we wait to intro the movie. Sometimes we don't. Today, we're going to start right at the beginning because we, we've got stuff to talk about. We are going to be talking about 2023's Red, White, and Royal Blue, released by Amazon Prime Studios in August. So just a few months ago, this movie is fresh, based on the 2019 novel by Casey McQuiston by the same name. So a couple things, right, about this book. It has a lot to do with like queerness and like queer identity, whether you are aware of that identity or you're discovering it. It also has a lot to do with politics, specifically like American politics and what that can mean for how people identify and how they live, how openly or not openly they live their lives. And we are releasing this episode on election day of 2023. Happy election day, sister. Happy election day. Have you exercised your right to vote today yet? By the time... People are listening to this. Yes, I will absolutely have exercised my right to vote. I will probably be doing it as people are listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try and vote early so I don't have to think about either going in the morning or hustling home on election day. I'm very ineffective in the mornings. Anyone who knows me knows this. So if that's you, <laughs> try to vote early. Well, so we talked about voting. We talked about the election. Elections are very fucking important. And why we wanted to talk about this movie red white and royal blue in addition to dealing with again themes of queerness becoming becoming aware of your queerness embracing it embracing yourself in your family in the public eye it also talks a lot about politics it talks a lot about electoral politics and we will get into whether the representations of electoral politics are in any way accurate especially in the movie versus in the book which we have both read so we will be talking about the book a lot just awakening just a little bit of intrigue in people when it comes to politics I think is important and meaningful and I think framing it in you know a queer lived experience is also really important I'm going to avoid getting like too nerdy about electoral stuff but I will mention a few things that are just purely like gay wish fulfillment in this movie gay white liberal wish fulfillment and then obviously that's what movies are. <laughs> what, what am I watching this for? Yes. And, and something I mentioned to Naja before we started recording. One thing that I kind of enjoy about this movie, like, yes, it's a political landscape. The book more than the movie, though. The book, absolutely. Say. Significantly more than the movie. In the book, they're more nitty gritty about the politics. But even so, it's a very, like, alternate universe politics where... The 2016 elections did result in a woman being elected. And this woman is the head of a biracial family 
and it's from Texas. It's from Texas, but it's liberal. Like it's very like political fantasy. That's a genre I'd fucking read. <laughs> it's almost like escapism for politics in a way. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt that this movie is incredibly fluffy. Fluffy is a word that's like used a lot with regard to like fanfic and stuff. Like when you're talking about like the relationship between two characters, it's fluff. Like it's not real plot. The movie is also very like idealized in a lot of ways, not even just the political landscape way, because that is like overt wish fulfillment. Well, depending where your political party stands. Well, for our purposes, it's overt wish fulfillment. (laughs) For other purposes, it's the devil's landscape. But yeah, like, it's fluffy. It's pleasant to watch. It's digestible, this movie. Like, I'm just going to say it, like, right at the top, I guess. This movie's not winning any awards. She's not a good movie, and she doesn't have to be. Anytime a movie is made about marginalized populations, it feels like it needs to be the best one. It feels like there needs to be, like... It feels like it needs to be Moonlight. It needs to be Brokeback Mountain. It needs to be winning an Oscar something somewhere like the prestige needs to be so high Paola and I are from an immigrant family we are both Latin American women and even with the increasing amount of Latin American media that we see especially on the streaming services especially on services that don't necessarily rely too much on revenue like too much on movie theater turnout to make money I think sometimes they're willing to risk a little bit more and make some of this content about other populations like non-white people and even with that amount of like new content it does feel like there's never like enough i can name 200 movies about white people and white experiences that explore so many different layers of nuance like oh well here's a movie about a family where the dad dies and everyone's kind of sad. Here's a movie about where the dad dies and everyone's conflicted because they all had a bad relationship. Here's a movie where the dad dies, but he had a mistress. Here's a movie. Exactly. Do you have that level of nuance with black cinema, with Latin cinema, gay cinema? No, you just don't. No, because when you make a movie about people of color, the nuance is that they're a person of color. (laughs) You need to capture absolutely everything. I'm guilty of this shit, right? Like, when I watch, like, Latin American stories, I get super critical and I have to check myself and be like, not everyone is going to be me. When I'm watching, like, oh, well, this is about Mexican people. I'm like, oh, what about Caribbean people? And then I see something about Caribbean people. I'm like, but that's not right. And then I see something like- This is inaccurate. Right. And it's like, yeah, but maybe that just means that it's not for me. And it doesn't mean they shouldn't be allowed to make it. It just means that there should be more of it. There should always be more of it. Hopefully we get to the point where you're represented at an equal level as our white counterparts. And then there's enough stories to tell. I think that that's the problem. There's so many stories people want told and you're not seeing them told. And so it gets frustrating. So this is one of them. This is one of them. And I think this is one of them. And I enjoyed so much that the main character here is not only of Mexican heritage, right? Not only a Latino, but also I think he represents a bigger part of our demographic, which is he's biracial. He's both. He has to toe the line between these two identities and he's proud of both of them and embraces both of them. I guess the same way he has to toe the line between his sexuality when he's yeah. discovering that. So like, it's nice to see a queer Latino boy play this. So. It's nice to see a queer Latino boy. 
like full stop and something that Paola and I like talk about a lot and Paola has like mentioned right in previous episodes like one of the reasons that I think we gravitate towards silly rom-coms things that are perceived as silly things that are feminine coded one of the reasons we gravitate towards those things is because of the escapism real life sucks ass in the last few weeks if you've been alive on earth it's been pretty fucking terrible and sometimes you just want to watch a dumb little movie where two hot boys kiss and that's nice and like that's all it doesn't have to be this big treatise on suffering and the immigrant experience and like coming out it feels refreshing to still have that topic but be able to enjoy it lightly without having to get mad (laughs) you're starting to see like the 10 things i hate about you but with the queer couple like it's refreshing starting to see that now i agree and people are just so much more open younger people especially right are so much more open about their identities and whether they even choose to identify their sexuality or choose to make that a part of their public persona to the point where I feel like I'm not even quite in the age group where like it's easier to discuss these things like I think millennials are still like a little bit weird about some of that stuff the 2000s was Perez Hilton outing people on his blog which is really fucked up like right incredibly fucked up i think i mean maybe he thought he was doing something but i mean he was very out right so maybe it was kind of like i'm doing it everybody should do it that's something that's discussed in this movie too like you should come out on your own terms to who you want when you want and in the way that you want so there are like a lot of things about the premise of this book and movie that i love that like totally it's like right up my alley it was like it was crafted for like me and gals like me and folks like me but is it a good movie doesn't have to be baby (laughs) it's a fun watch it is a fun watch and we're gonna get into why it's a fun watch and we're also gonna draw some comparisons between the book and the movie i'll just say this before we start talking about anything the book is far superior to the movie but with the movie you get to look at those beautiful faces so if this is the episode that gets me sent to horny jail, so be it. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, they're the main characters are very attractive. Yeah, they are. Again, in the, the movie definitely focuses on more of the fluff that the book has. You know, I think that it was a, a conscious decision to make it a lighter movie and more about this love story. I agree. Coming into Red, White, and Royal Blue... A silly little equivalent to a Hallmark movie version of a gay story. It's like a glass of water. It's like a breath of fresh air because everything else is so deep. So, um, this is going to sound like an insult, but it's not. So, like, thought out and, like, methodical. And I think Red, White, and Royal Blue allows itself to be silly. I'm going to get into a little bit of, like, the actors who made this movie, etc. So, Red, White, and Royal Blue. Released in 2023, directed by Matthew Lopez. Screenplay by Matthew Lopez and Ted Malauer, I think that's pronounced. Based on source material by Casey McQuiston. Book released in 2019. This movie is an Amazon Prime original released in August of 2023. Starring Taylor Zakar Perez as Alex Claremont Diaz and Nicholas Galitzine as Prince Henry of Wales. Question mark. Uma Thurman <laughs> as President Ellen Claremont. Rachel Hilson as Nora Holleran, 
and Sarah Shahi as Zara, who serves as the deputy chief of staff to the president. Guest star spot by Stephen Fry as the King of England, which is so fun. The Bring, bringing bringing a, a a little British legitimacy, <laughs> touch, just a sprinkle, just a touch. Music by Drum and Lace. Costume design by Keith Madden. Production design by Miren Marañón. All right, Paola, hit me with the scorecard. So scorecard, this is a queer love story. It does have source material, which is the book Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuinston. And the story is by a non-binary person. The screenplay, however, and the director is a man. Yup. What's the trope? So one of my favorite things about this movie is that I feel like it takes turns with tropes. It almost has every single trope in it. You kind of get enemies to friends, friends to lovers... Because of forced proximity. Man, there's only one bed in this room at the inn. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> oh, man. How will we make it? I hate you. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Not tonight, you don't. <laughs> it's like a trope buffet. I love that. It is a trope buffet. Pick one. Which one do you want? Which one do you want? Because it's in there. Forbidden love. Forbidden love. Absolutely. We mentioned this before in our discussion of like politics and stuff, but this is very wish fulfillment. The entirety of it is wish fulfillment. Mm. And I ain't mad at it. It is definitely fulfilling some wishes. It's fulfilling some wishes. It's fulfilling some wishes. So there's our scorecard. There's our trope. Oh, yeah. Back of the book. Back of the book. Back of the book. Back of the book. So, all right. Small, little baby. Back of the book summary for the plot. When the feud between the son of the American president... And Britain's prince threatens to drive a wedge in the U.S.-British relations. The two are forced into a staged truce that sparks something deeper. We are about to get into the synopsis. Right before we get into that, I do want to mention, by the time Red, White, and Royal Blue was released, the sag after strike had been called and was in effect, continues to be in effect on this, the date of recording, October 20th. We will see if the SAG-AFTRA union is able to come to an agreement with the large production studios and streaming services and television networks regarding their contracts, mostly regarding the usage of AI, also regarding profits from residuals and streaming data and things like that. The Writers Guild was also on strike at the time this movie was released, and they have ended their strike I think it was in September and they reached a new contract agreement with the large studios the actors remain on strike so obviously if you've ever listened to either of us talk ever we wholeheartedly support labor unions wholeheartedly support better contracts people making more money wholeheartedly support people fucking working less if I'm being honest with you but (laughs) mostly these actors are involved in so much media that we consume day in and day out. If you were home during the pandemic and you weren't binge watching TV, I don't know what you were doing. You were hibernating like a bear because that was all we had to do for such a long time for those of us who were privileged enough to be at home and showing solidarity with these actors as they ask for better working conditions and better contract agreements is the least that we can do as non-actors 
and supporting writers. They deserve the compensation. If not for them, these shows, this movie, these things would not be written and they wouldn't exist. The stories that we were just talking about before, you know, and the stories that we want told, that we want to watch, that we want to see about marginalized communities and everything they encompass don't happen without these writers. They deserve to be compensated. Full stop, period. Stand in solidarity with all unions. Don't forget to fucking vote. It is time. Let's fucking go. All right. So this movie starts off and my first thought is like, this looks like a Disney Channel original movie. I'm Taylor Zakar Perez and you're watching Disney Channel. Bing, 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 bing. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's the opening (laughs) for this movie because like off the top, it's terrible green screen. Oh, it's bad. There's like CGI to make crowds. <laughs> CGI palace. You know, I'm watching it with an open mind. I'm an open-minded viewer. But I'm like, what? where is the production quality here? The joke that I will make now, and I will make dozens more times, the budget was $17, <laughs> and they used 15 of it to license the songs. Okay. <laughs> to license three songs three songs in like a 30 second scene (laughs) nothing else and the leftover budget they were like oh shit everybody's gonna have to eat rice krispies treats for the rest of this production because we are fucked we have no budget i don't know that for a fact guys this is a joke i'm kidding we are freestyling they also needed to cast oma thurman they definitely had to make some serious budget choices for this movie and the budget choices were extras (laughs) should we have them (laughs) no should we nah so, so we open up on a view of CGI Buckingham Palace. Buckingham. 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 We bucking Buckingham. 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 Yeah, ask your mom how to say it. She's been there. Has she told you? A Buckingham. A Buckingham. Yo, mi hija, yo bebí té en el jardín de la reina. That woman. (laughs) So we open up the movie on various news reports Mm -hmm. about the royal wedding. We get this incredible CGI shot of Buckingham Palace. And that's a a lowercase I incredible CGI shot. (laughs) CGI? CGI. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so we see the newly married Prince Philip. And Princess Martha. And then we see his siblings, Prince Henry, who they refer to in the movie as Prince of England's Hearts, and his sister, Princess Beatrice, who they just call B. Prince of People's Hearts is a not so thinly veiled Princess Diana reference. Oh. In a famous interview, she said she would rather be the queen of people's hearts than the queen of a country. Prince Henry is the youngest, so he's the third born of three siblings, the first of whom is the one getting married, whose name is Philip, second of whom is his slightly older sister, Beatrice, Princess B, and he is the third, Prince Henry. All of these news reports and like this kind of news voiceover and tabloid reporting kind of flashes across the screen like digitally like it shows up kind of like little pop-ups around the screen and you get little video snippets of the characters who are mentioned so by the time we're a minute or two into the movie we know who the big players are president ellen claremont uma thurman 
first son of the United States, Alex Claremont Diaz, Taylor Zakar Perez, Prince Henry of Wales, that is Nicholas Galatine, his sister, she's not as big of a character, and Nora Holleran, who is the vice president's granddaughter, and she is like best friends with Alex Claremont Diaz. So we're introduced to them as all these video clips kind of flash across the screen. The way that gets tied back into like real time with our characters is when it's pulled up on Nora's phone because the audio kind of like continues voicing over and we cut to them in the back of a limo with her watching this news report on her phone being like, oh, they're mentioning us. We're in the back of the limo. Alex makes it clear he does not want to be there. He looks very uncomfortable in his tux. He has this moment of vulnerability that they bring up quickly in the movie, obviously in the first two minutes that they don't bring up so quickly in the book. And I think they did like a pretty good job of bringing him to life. There are a few things that I kind of wish they had included a bit more of, but in the book, especially at this point, Alex is like all bluster and bravado. Like he's a shit talker. He's loud as fuck. He's pushy in your face. Very confident. Very cocky and confident. Frat dude energy without being a frat dude. So He's up in your grill at all times and doesn't really care. He takes up a lot of space in the room. And this Alex in the movie, they start him softer. So they start him as being like, well, I don't want to see him because like he was mean to me and it sucked and he's so entitled and he's like so rich and like he doesn't understand my family and how different it is for us. We're elected. They're monarchy. Like it's so stupid. And that is already more vulnerable than you get with like book Alex for like the first, I don't know, 50, 60 pages. No, and he goes right into digging into the British monarchy yes. and like why Obsessed. They what exist. a king. What a king. All right, so they arrive at the reception. Now they're like in a receiving line to receive the royal procession. So you start seeing this back and forth. Henry doesn't want to see Alex and Alex doesn't want to see Henry. So they have like a thing with each other. It's a weird beef. They're annoyed that the other's there. Alex's first thing is like, he is not 6'2", no fucking way. He lies about his height. He is so pressed about his height. Meanwhile, the actor is taller than Nicholas Galatine. In the book, the height is a joke because book Alex is 5'10". Like, he's like average height. He's just not terribly tall. No, he is a short male. I'm sorry, 5'10", it's not average. You've been married to someone who's 6'3 for way too fucking long. And I'll let everyone know that. (laughs) I'm sorry. Way I'm too sorry. If you're 5'10", you're a short king. Wow. I still appreciate Ooh. you. <laughs> wow. Good thing you're not on this dating landscape, baby, because that's a disqualifier. I love a short king. Look me in my eyes and be angry about it. So no, I want to hug your chest. And I love my tall king husband. Yeah, I know. You're not talking. <laughs> What's Ryan? Like 6'2"? He's six foot. Anyway, so in the book, Alex is like 5'10". And he, again, is average height. He's fine. But Prince Henry is like quite a bit taller in the book. Prince Henry's like 6'2 or like 6'3. So their height difference is like more significant. And that's why Alex is like pressed about being shorter. In the movie, Taylor Zakar Perez is tall as hell. He's like 6'3. Nicholas Galassian is like 6'1 or 6'2. They're both tall. So why do they bother making the joke in the movie? I don't know. So... Next thing you see is Alex is getting hammered. He's getting he so drunk. He is knocking them back. Because he's like, I'm having a shitty time and I'm going to get fucking wasted. Which is not the right decision no. at a royal event. It's a terrible decision. He's making it because he's nervous. I think he's like, I got to take the edge off. And yeah. then he just keeps taking the edge off and until there's no edge. There's no edge left. 
and now he's a disaster, he decides that this is a good time to go and talk to Henry. So one thing that Henry talks about earlier is the ridiculousness of his brother's wedding. It's very opulent. It's very grand. You wouldn't know that from watching the movie. Because they don't fucking show it. Because that budget, $15. Henry definitely goes in on, why are we spending this much money on this wedding? This is ridiculous. And he goes into how this cake is like 75,000 pounds. Pounds sterling. He's talking to his sister about this, and he's, like, upset about the opulence and how much money they're spending. Fast forward. Alex, drunk, comes up to Henry. He's trying to make small talk. And at one point, he comes to Henry, and he's like, how many poor children can you feed with this fucking cake? And then Henry's like, how many fucking poor children can you feed by the price of your shoes? Like, he takes it as an attack on him instead of like, hey, I agree with you. Because I think it is meant as an attack. I think at this point, they've probably had enough close calls with each other that Henry knows that Alex is antagonizing him and trying to catch him off guard. And so when it doesn't work, Alex gets real, real mad. Alex is basically like needling Henry. He's just like oh, this cake is so fucking expensive. Oh, can you stop seeming like you don't give a shit about being at your brother's wedding? You're like so above it all. You're like so stuck up. And the dialogue is very stupid. And in my notes, I wrote, did AI write the script? And I'll bring that up again later because maybe it did. But he's trying to say all of this stuff to kind of get under Henry's skin. And Henry, aside from being British and stiff upper lip and royal, is very unflappable. He's just like, he's looking at Alex kind of like, Almost like the way that I would describe his expression is like bemusement. Like he's just like, okay, sure. Oh, you think I'm obsessed with myself? You know what I think? I think you're fucking obsessed with me. Leave me alone. And Alex takes so much umbrage to this. Like he's like, what? And that's when you see him grab his (laughs) fucking cakey ass drink off the cake table, his hands covered in frosting. He goes to put his hand on Henry's shoulder because he's like, don't you fucking walk away from me. I've got more drunk stuff I need to say to you. Covers his shoulder in frosting. Henry pushes him back. Because he's pissed. And Alex fucking knocks into the cake and it all comes crashing down on the boat. The moment they initially mention the cake, you know some shit is about to happen. You know some shit is about to go down. And again, I cannot stress enough how much cake falls on these two men. The hallmark ability (laughs) of this fucking scene right here. It still feels like you're watching a hallmark movie. Absolutely. And this creates international scandal. Stop it. It's the most. It's like everybody loses their shit brit it it creates like hate between britain and america and the administrations it throws a trade agreement into jeopardy because the cake fell in britain they saw it as like a form of disrespect right like it he like this was a tactic to undermine this british wedding and they're all blaming alex for this or whatever so he gets back home and his mom oma fucking thurman the president of the United States and digs her in on fucking him. accent. <laughs> She's from Texas. The accent's an additional character in the movie. I can't tell you how many reviews I read through that were like, what the fuck was that accent, Uma Thurman? What the fuck are you doing? And some that were like, I love how bad the accent was. None of them complimented the accent. 
I mean, is it accurate to a Texan I deeply accent? believe it is I not. No. It's like when you have a character who's from like New York and she she's from like New this. Jersey. She's the president. <laughs> like that. I believe that's the equivalent. <laughs> I genuinely think it's like, what are you talking about? I'm the president. There's like Marissa Tomei's chewing gum in the background. Like, yes, I think that is what we're getting at with like how fucking bad Uma Thurman's accent is in this. Couldn't believe. As a viewer watching this, I could not believe that I was looking at Uma Thurman. Who looks incredible. In this Hallmark classic. I couldn't. Believe- Actually, they spent all the budget on her fees. <laughs> they just. <laughs> so she goes in on her son and she's like, you're going to go back to London and you're going to smooth this shit over with Prince Henry. Like, you're going to fucking fix this shit because, again, apparently this has thrown an international trade deal into jeopardy. You little bitch. And her approval rates are, are dropping. Yep. In Amer- people are mad in America. Yep. It is so <laughs> stupid. It's so dumb. I can't say that. First of all, that, w- that would become a meme. That, if I, if a, somebody turned over a fucking cake at a wedding, like a big ass fancy wedding, not only would it become a meme, everybody would be like, bravo, anti-capitalist king. Bring down the cake well, and Well, he has the become a meme and it's part of the problem. So they flash in the same fashion at the beginning of the movie where they flash some of the news reports across the screen. They also flash like these quote unquote Instagram posts across the screen where they're like pictures of them kind of like rolling around in cake and (laughs) even like the behind the scenes of them filming this is very very funny continue so he's forced into this damage control situation and has to go back to england for photo ops he's annoyed that he's got to go see henry who they have made very clear he very much dislikes yeah so he flies to london does a little tourist thing question mark they do this thing where they're showing like social media throughout the movie and he's like posting pictures of like big ben and it's supposed to be like positive london pr right oh i'm back in london and i'm having a great time i love you guys being here's awesome yeah (laughs) so they finally have to meet up he thinks he's gonna go be able to get dressed and shower but no Henry meets him where he's at, wherever he's at. And they're like, oh, we're going to take some pictures right we're now. We're going to take pictures right now. This kid has just gotten off a plane. So he's like in a tank top, like a tank top with like a little shirt over the top, a pair of jeans and sneakers. Like we kind of stated this up at the top. Taylor Zakar Perez is hot in a way that is there are levels to being hot. OK, you can be Timothy Chalamet hot. What I discuss is being hot like art. I want to look at you like you're a painting. I want to look at you at a museum. I'm not going to dream about you at night. Taylor Zakar Perez, you're going to dream about him at night. Okay? He's so <laughs> hot. He's so hot. He's not a human person that exists on earth. He's so, so hot. And not in like a platonic art way of like, I can acknowledge your beauty and I accept it and I receive it with my eyes. No, 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 no. No, you crave. You crave. No, he's definitely a beautiful man. He's got the tall, dark, and handsome thing going. Absolutely. He's got the hair. He's got the smile. He's got riz. He's got the size. You know, he's charismatic. Absolutely. On screen, off screen. The casting here, kudos. They did a great job casting Alex. I mean, and also casting Henry. Henry fit so perfectly with what you visually get in the book. Yes. Very much. Alex is a little bit different, but I feel he fits the character really well. He embodies the energy, I think. Like that cocky, pseudo-frat bro energy. And another thing that I want to say, they age them up for the movie. So in the book, 
Alex is a senior in college. He's barely 21. Um, and Henry is 22, 23. They are significantly older. In the movie, Alex is in like his second or third year of law school. And Henry is, again, a year or two older than him. So if you're thinking of how old someone is in law school, 25, 26. Henry's probably 27, 28. They aged it up to like mid, mid late 20s. Mid to late 20s. Taylor Zakar Perez in real life is a year or two older than me. Nicholas Galatine in real life is a year or two younger than me. So I do think it's funny that they kind of flip-flop them age-wise because I do think mm-hmm. Taylor Zakar Perez looks older. Full stop. Nicholas Galatine has the skin of a baby right on his face. I mean, he's never not worn sunscreen is what I get. So Alex has gotten off the plane and he looks like shit. Not shit, not shit to us, not to the viewer, but he might just not feel very good. I'm not prepared. He was not prepared for a photo op. Right. He wasn't prepared. He couldn't talk himself up in the mirror and put on a cute little outfit. Henry pulls up in an Aston Martin or like some crazy British sports car, drives up recklessly. This man is in like a freshly pressed double-breasted suit. He's got cufflinks, a tie. His hair is perfect. He's frustratingly hot. He's another one. Nicholas Galatine really toes that line between too pretty for me to find you sexually attractive and pretty enough for me to find you sexually attractive. He's (laughs) right there. Cause he, it's all in the camera angle. He has a face like a doll. <laughs> like he is gorgeous. He, does. <laughs> he definitely looks like a pretty Ken doll. Taylor Zuckerberg is hot. Nicholas Galatine is beautiful. Yeah. Oh, and and like you said, almost to a point where you're kind of like uncanny valley of attractiveness. You're like, I don't know. I can't even be attracted to you because you're too pretty. You don't look like yeah. you're from this planet. So. He rolls up, beautiful sports car, double-breasted suit. He is pressed, proper, ready for this photo op. And Alex is like, God damn it. I need to go change, okay? They won't let him. Prince Henry's Aquary, who is basically like his personal assistant, is like, no, sorry. We're on a very tight schedule. Like, you don't have any fucking time. Get in that goddamn picture, you American idiot. And he gets in there. And as they're starting to pose for this picture where they're literally miserable and they're shaking hands. I don't know what this picture will be used for. Prince Henry's personal assistant, whose name is Sean, who is a beautiful South Asian man. He goes, stand on his right side. It's protocol. And Alex is like, is that because this is your good side or because it's like royal shit? (laughs) And Prince Henry's like, both. They're just like sniping back and forth at each other. Alex kind of feels the need to like peacock over Henry for some reason, even though Henry's a goddamn Uh prince. And he's like, I just want you to know my ND is bigger than yours. Like, I'm more important than you. And first of all, considering what we find out about Henry later in the movie, I seriously doubt that. But Henry says... And I know that you're wearing lifts too, sweetheart. And you could see Alex's face is like, what? Sweetheart, who's that? And like, they took a couple of aspects from the book and I think kind of like put them in a little bit of a blender for the movie because Henry is like, Henry's buttoned up in the movie. Don't get me wrong. But he would never have said something like that, book Henry. So Alex would have been the one to be like, hey baby, hey sweetie. Henry would not. Book Henry would have had an actual panic attack if at that (laughs) point in the story... Alex is like, sweetheart. But I think he's also trying to let him know, like, almost undermining Alex's presence. Like, undermining his, like, overtness. This display that he's doing yes. by calling him sweetheart. He has knocked him down a notch. Yeah. Like, sit your baby ass down. I'm used to this shit, sweetie. Okay. <laughs> All right, honey. Oh, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Your fucking lifts and your fucking shoes. Okay. So the next thing after this, the next morning, 
is when they have like a series railroad of different interviews with different British media outlets. Yeah. So now they're doing this round of interviews the next day and they're doing the worst pretending. They're terrible at it. They're doing the worst pretending and the reporters are buying it, question mark. They're like still enthusiastic about the whole thing. And I swear it's Hallmark. They didn't even try. And they're going back and forth, asking them various questions like about each other and like, oh, you guys met here. And, you know, how did you guys become friends? And like they're faking the whole shit. As they're having this little back and forth where it's like, how would you guys describe each other? How have you been friends? (laughs) Henry's like, you know, a fun thing about Alex is that he does the best Barbara Streisand impression. And I literally paused the movie and was like, who didn't clock that he was gay? Who? who (laughs) who thought who was like oh yeah no he's straight and barbara streisand yeah no yeah so there's this weird part where all the reporters finally ask him at the end the big question of the century what happened with the cake everybody's concerned about what happened with the cake and henry's like it actually happens more than you would think in Queen Victoria's time. They, like, like, had food fights all the time. Where the fuck did that come I from? Like, why is that a line? Who wrote this? This is, so, AI wrote this. And the reason that it's a line, <laughs> dude, I don't want to shit on this writer-director, like, Matthew Lopez. I don't because I'm loving that he's, like, a Latin American man being at the helm of, like, a movie that was highly anticipated, at, at the very least by, like, Book Talk or whatever. But that doesn't mean I can't critique it. So... I'm supporting it. I've watched it on Amazon Prime. I've used Paola's paid Amazon subscription (laughs) to watch it on Prime. Thank you. I'm supporting this movie. I can still critique it. So this dialogue is fucking AI dialogue. And one of the reasons that they had Henry shoehorn in a comment about food fights during the Victorian era is because Henry in the book, and you obviously get so much more time to delve into this, is a British history nerd because he's like academically inclined, very smart, but he's a British history nerd because he's a Royal. So he knows a shit ton about historical figures in his family going back centuries and centuries. You learn this because one of the things that like Henry's obsessed with later is calling out which monarchs were like queer, right? Like this monarch is probably gay and this one's probably gay. And like, ha 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 ha. So in the movie, this falls flat completely flat and it confuses the viewer for sure i'm like was that really a thing let me google this real quick no (laughs) it was just a thing somebody made up all right next scene they visit a children's hospital Mm -hmm. you know so they're doing like a charity event together for the media they have a group of kids alex kind of like steals a few moments where he's observing henry interacting with these kids away from the media so in his mind he's like Henry's just gonna hang out with these kids until the cameras go away. And because he's a piece of shit, then he's gonna be like, all right, I'm out. And what he ends up seeing is that the cameras leave and Henry stays. Like he seems to be very comfortable in this hospital. He seems to know people there and goes up to all the little kids and like talks to them really sweetly, almost especially when no one's watching rather than he's sweet to them with the cameras and without. No, he's like better with the cameras not there. And Alex is like, he's clocking this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he's checking it out. And he's like, what is happening? They're walking through the hospital and they hear like some pops. They think it's gunshots. Their security detail pushes these guys into a closet. Irony is not lost here. Whoop! (laughs) For their safety. And here we push into our force proximity trope. 
And also, I mean, you get a little visual representation of what's going on, which is you have two queer men in the closet. They're very limited on space. I remember watching the scene the first time I watched the movie and being like, Ellos son They're really... They got mad room. You could sit up. Exactly. But I was watching it again last night as I was taking my notes and I was like, oh, actually this closet is like really small. So, <laughs> was, well, And they're also and, big guys. And they get thrown in there. Like they literally get thrown in there and fall onto the ground. And this closet's like pretty small. They're having like a little baby wrestling match with each other from like how little space is in this closet. Trying to adjust and get comfortable. Exactly. And at one point, they're kind of stilled because they hear more pops in the hallway. And Henry leans over Alex and says like Santal 33 or something like that. And I think that's the name of the cologne that Alex is wearing. He sniffs him. And Alex is like, what? And Henry's like, you have good taste. Like you have good taste in cologne. You smell good. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to buy that cologne. I'm going to spritz it on my pillow. He's like, you have good taste. And Alex is like, okay, what? As they're finally sitting up and like trying to acomodarse, Henry is like, God damn it, Alex. Why the fuck don't you like me? Like, this is getting really annoying. I've never been mean to you. What is your deal? You are such a shit every time I see you. And you can tell that this is something that he's kind of like held back and is exasperated by and needs to ask. And I want to defend what Alex says a little bit. Okay. Well, what does Alex say? Alex's response is like, well, do you remember when we met? And Henry's like, yeah, we met like three or four years ago at some conference or whatever. If you're thinking three or four years ago in the context of their movie ages, that would put them at like 23, 24. So that's not terribly young. He's like, I met you at this conference and it was my first big international public event after my mom had become president. And I was like there in her stead as a representative of like the White House or whatever. And I wanted to meet you because we were around the same age and you've been in the public eye for such a long time. And when I finally did get to meet you, you were a dick to me. You were just like, get me the fuck out of here. You didn't even talk to me or whatever. And the reason that I'm going to say that I defend this is because in movie Alex, we get a lot more vulnerability. And he's like, you know, I had never done that before. I was hoping you would be nice to me because I was really scared and uncomfortable. And you were a dick and it sucked and it made the experience suck. And Henry reacts two ways. Henry initially, he's like, yeah, I was a dick. And then he's like, okay, got it. What's the other thing? (laughs) There is no other thing. That's the only thing. And then Henry's like, what? (laughs) I was rude to you one time. And that is when Alex gets a little bit more vulnerable. And so Henry's kind of like, it's stupid, but fine. And the reason that I called out their ages when I started talking about this is because in the book, Alex and Henry are younger and they met further out. So they didn't meet three years ago. They met seven years ago. So they met when Alex is like 15 and Henry's like 17. So them being dicks to each other makes way more sense in the context of like adolescence in addition to what we continue to learn about them as characters than it does when they're college aged men. Right. And also for it to make that big of an impression on a grown ass man. Right. It makes more sense that it made that deep of an impression on a teenager. You're less mature. You're you're more likely to take things personally and think everything's about you. And honestly, just like life feels so big. All of your feelings feel so big. And that to me, I think them losing that in the movie wasn't smart the grudge would have continued to make more sense if Alex was like I was 17 and we met at this thing and you were mean to me and it sucked right if maybe they would have timed that back yes longer that would have made more sense and then Henry's kind of like you know 
that's so stupid that that's the reason you don't like me. But also, I mean, back then I was like back then three years ago, you know, my dad had just passed away and I was feeling really shitty and the royal family was forcing me to make all of these appearances that I didn't want to make because I was like grieving because he had just died like a few months before and I was really depressed and I hated that I had to do all that shit. So yeah, I was like an asshole. Like he was like, it wasn't specifically you. It was like everybody. And Alex is like, okay, fine. Then he's like, I feel like I have to apologize. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it's like, like oh, oh shit. No, I feel bad. And they kind of come to this white flag. Okay. That's why we didn't like each other. Fine. Let's just be cool. I don't have to like you and they're going to keep making fun of each other. And that's kind of like stated explicitly. Like I'm going to keep making fun of you because you're fucking weird, but we have to like deal with this to pretend to be friends because of like the governments of our countries. So let's just be fucking cool about it. So secret service comes back in the threats neutralized. The guys have kind of come to a truce. Mm -hmm. Their visit comes to an end. Henry's like, you know, glad we've made a truce. Glad we don't got to do this shit again. Yeah. I don't have to see you again. And Alex's like, psych. Actually, you have to come to my New Year's party. This is part of our PR strategy. I came out here. Now you got to come to my party. And it's like the party. It's the place to be on New Year's. And Henry's like, I hate fucking New Year's. But sure, I'll be there. So now they have to get ready for the photo op where they shake hands and take the opportunity for a picture. Now, something that I peeped after my third or fourth watch. <laughs> and I, <laughs> you watching it this many times <laughs> is sending me. Listen, it became a background movie. I can't have it around. All, I was about to say, around, that's though. a choice It's got to be a around. Movie. No, yeah. It's like, it's a background movie the way Bridgerton to me is like uh, a background show okay, where okay. I know where to cut or I know I can watch it until this point and then, and then I got to change it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And after reading the book, you understand that Henry has complicated feelings around Alex earlier on than the movie lets on. An observation I made as a viewer, having already read the book, is right before they pose for this handshake photo op, Henry has to wipe his hands on his pants. So as somebody who has read the book, you know he's nervous. He's sweating. He's like, fuck, I got to touch him again. And he wipes his hands on his pants to get ready to shake his hand for the photo op. After reading the book, you realize all this like little subtle eye and hand acting that Nicholas Galatine does really well, by the way. I can't wait to see him in more stuff because he's so, so talented. It's subtle. You only catch it because you know, because you know it's there. So he does this great eye hand acting meant to portray that Henry is already falling for Alex, as you already know, as the book reader. And that there's a sense of conflict in that, a sense of conflict mm -hmm. of like what you want versus what you're allowed to want. And I feel like anybody who's ever had a big crush or like a crush on one of their friends or something is like really familiar with this feeling where you're kind of like, do I do the thing of like telling you or like letting you know and like risk this going horribly sideways and messing up all of my other shit? Or do I just act real subtle and cool and let you never find out? You know where I've been on the side of that? I've been in the second half and it has sucked ass. So I think like a lot of people can relate to that feeling of just like, oh, I'm not going to tell this person. <laughs> like it's not going to mm -hmm. work out well for me. Another thing too is as the viewer, 
you take those hints that like elongated look or whatever and you see it almost as like you can take it as arrogance after your second watch after you read the book you see it and you're like oh no he's just he's just looking at this beautiful fucking man (laughs) the same way the rest of us are baby same yeah you can see him kind of battling with his feelings in those parts I love that. And I I agree with you. I think that's a good call out. So Alex is like, all right, dude, you got to go to my New Year's Eve party. Anyway, I'm out of here. Peace, homies. Like very loose, very American, very big personality. As Alex gets into the car, pulls away, Henry turns kind of like towards the camera, not looking into the camera. And his face is just like, ooh, (laughs) like what have I gotten myself into? Next scene we cut to is Alex arriving home to the, what we assume to be the White House. Cause girl, we will never know. Okay. (laughs) He's on some balcony and they have He's on green a porch screen. Of some kind. And that green screen, they had an intern do this green screening. <sighs> okay, for example, like a ton of the exteriors in Bridgerton are green screened and they look good. What the fuck? I think Bridgerton has a bigger budget. Absolutely, Bridgerton has a bigger budget. It's Shonda Rhimes. But like, what the hell? What is happening here? My God. That is the White House lawn. Ugh. green screen the shit out of the white house lawn he's talking to his dad i think this is the first time you meet his dad Mm -hmm. and they're kind of sit and have this father-son chat and his dad is kind of like he asked about his trip how did it go and then he's like what is your deal with this guy and alex is pretty much like what is there to like about him like he's an elite privileged person who lives in a palace and the dad's like my guy you're an elite privileged person who lives in a palace Exactly. And he's like, you know, you got this chip on your shoulder that you're carrying around because they are uh, new money, I guess you would call. (laughs) They're working class roots. So they ascended to the presidency of the White House. Henry has always been there. He's always been in the monarchy. Exactly. I think that kind of grounds Alex a little bit. Like, okay, I guess you're right. But also we worked for this. Mm So then we see Alex is in like a university library or he's in a cafe or his university library has a cafe. Nice. It is implied in the movie less than it's explicitly said. In the book, it is explicitly said that Alex is a student at Georgetown. In the book, he's an undergrad. In the movie, he's a law student. Georgetown has an awesome law school. So the implication is that he's at Georgetown for law. And that he lives at the White House with his mom to save on security costs because he's still in D.C. anyway. So it wouldn't make any sense for him to live somewhere else with a different security team if his mom is also in D.C. And you do see that he has his he does have a detail with him all the time. Yeah. So he bumps into what looks like a friend. Mm -hmm. He daps him up. They sit down. You realize. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Just keep going. I have so much to say about this. You realize this friend is actually a reporter. And by the energy he's giving off, they've had something. If they haven't had something, he wants to have something. Exactly. And this is kind of the first time you kind of see Alex might be queer. As the viewer, you're like, oh, okay. I just think that Well, no, when the guy's like looking him up and down and Alex kind of gets a little flirty and. (laughs) (laughs) So go ahead. You wanted to say something. Cut in. Oh, so the thing I wanted to say, the direction that they gave the actor who plays the journalist, who's lovely, like he does what he needs to do. The direction he was given was flirt in a way that feels like sexual assault. Like 
<laughs> for sure. I'm so uncomfortable watching him on the screen. It's ew. the way he flirts is just like almost painful to watch. No, he has an intense flirting game. Hey, it's <laughs> so much. And Alex is just kind with of like the eyes hey. with the body language takes bedroom eyes to the next level it's not even like it's bedroom seriously. eyes it's i'm watching you through the bathroom door eyes like it's ooh, yeah and alex is almost like it's not unwelcomed but it's almost like dude can you can you chill there's people watching. literally like, there chill? are people around can you fucking relax we're at a starbucks in the goddamn library can you fucking relax yes a hundred percent and the journalist asks him for a quote alex denies he will not give him one on the record they just kind of chat and he's like well i hope i see you later and alex says a little something in spanish where he's like you know school's been really crazy lately the reporter whose name is miguel replies in spanish of like i totally get it you're looking really good though and alex is like thanks like he's definitely like i don't know what to do about this then he kind of is like all right see you later i gotta go and the reporter is just left thirsty as hell like the rest of us at home the reporter says something about like oh you're looking good and like says something about his eye like his eyelashes about his eyelashes and girl same (laughs) i'm dead this man has like an angel's eyelashes what the fuck this man has an angel's face (laughs) why wouldn't the eyelashes be consistent (laughs) These fucking angelic eyelashes. Get out of my face. They speak a little Spanish to each other. Paola has a note calling out that she loves that they have Alex speak a little Spanish. I do actually love that they have like this little Spanish banter back and forth. Just because it brings a bit more authenticity to the character and his Latin American experience. So they're not just glazing over that Alex comes from a Latin American background. This is ingrained in who he is to the point where... This is his second language. So I like that they throw that detail in there. And it's an accented Spanish. I mean, he's Spanish is his second language. And you can definitely hear that in his accent. But again, when you're first generation American, you're definitely always towing the line between like, what's your first language? What's your second language? I don't fucking know. I learned them at the same time. You're bound to have an accent in one or the other or both. Exhibit A. And as far as the actor goes, I don't 100% know if he grew up speaking Spanish just because I think his heritage is like really, really, really mixed up. Like it's very varied. I think he's got like Mexican descent among many, many other things. But one of the things that we found as we were researching this was like in college, he majored in like film and Latin American studies or something like that, which is like really sick. As I've gotten older, I'm like, I fucking wish I majored in Latin American studies. But that is like... I think another piece of it where regardless of whether he has a command of the language or not, he seems to like care about and be committed to that part of his identity, which I think is really cool. So then next scene, he's in class and he gets a text message from some random number, realizes that it's Prince Henry, who apparently got his number from the British Secret Service. That's known as MI6. Okay, Henry, somebody's looking to connect. This is what I mean. Book Henry would fucking never. Would have never. Ever. He was so much more reserved. Book Alex literally takes Henry's phone and is like, take my number, you fucking weirdo. We're going to have to text about stuff. Right, right. In the book, Alex is the one that quite literally reaches over, grabs Henry's phone and is like, look, this is my number. 
we're going to have to be on the same page to be able to continue this charade charade that we're doing. Oh, the charade. Uh, Charade. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, they start building this friendship through texting each other every so often about like dumb shit. Whenever one of them comes up in the news, they kind of like throw jabs at each other. You know, this is how they start chipping away at the ice. I just want to call out one funny line that I love that is Henry texts Alex a screenshot of just like a tabloid where it says, is Alex Claremont Diaz going to become a father? And this is obviously not true. And Henry sends the screenshot and then underneath goes, but we were so careful, dear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, oh, and that is in the book. Skirt? That is in the book. I was a huge fan of that bit because you can tell that he's like, bing, bing, testing. He's like poking. One of the exchanges that after the reading and after the rewatch, I notice is Alex gets on him for never wearing color. He's like, I think it's about a tie. He's like, what is this boring tie that you're wearing in some picture that he found? And he's like, do you ever wear any color? And when you fast forward later on, the next time they meet, he's actually is wearing a tie with color. And you're like, oh, okay. Okay. So what I say matters. Oh, you listen. So we get a very kind of fast and a bit of a yada yada montage of their communications back and forth. This would make such a great miniseries. And I think the model for a good miniseries book adaptation is normal people. Normal people is fucking above. Uh, like, can we do normal people? Absolutely. We're going to do normal. People. I don't know how we would do that. Guys, if you've watched normal people, let us know. Through email, down in the comments, <laughs> or get into our Instagram. Would you want us to do normal people? Because I think it would have to be almost like a, a bit of a series. We would have to do a couple episodes, right? We would probably do like three. I don't think we could get through normal people in one episode. I could see us doing like three. Normal people's great. I really think normal people is like the modern blueprint for how to make a good, elongated adaptation of a book. Because it was so true to the book, but it never felt like you had too much show or too much movie. This would have made a great miniseries because you would have more of this evolution of how they communicate, which in the movie happens very quickly. It happens in like no time at all. 10 seconds. Truly. And you just see some text fly across the screen. Another thing that I want to call out that they do that I do not love is that as we're getting into this montage of them across different scenarios, texting each other about different things, the way that they chose to show this in the movie, I mean, because texting and emails on screen, lose, you lose. It's not good. You don't want to make the reader read a fucking like letter. That's boring. You want to show them what's in the letter. They have mostly Henry because like the book, even though the book is from the third person narration, It is told really from Alex's perspective. So we don't know what's happening in Henry's mind for most of the book. So we have Alex going about his daily life and they show Henry speaking the lines of his text messages, but physically in the room or Henry speaking the line of his text messages, but he's laying next to him in bed, which is obviously very intimate. And I can see that in theory being like a very powerful storytelling tool, but In practice, it came off so cheesy. I feel like the direction of it could have been stronger and like sharper because even in the book, you know, there are points where they're texting or they're having like phone calls and Alex 
is like, it was like he was right there in the room with me. Or like, I really like talking to him or I'm really enjoying this conversation. I lost all track of time, hours passed or whatever. You could demonstrate that with the same concept of like, well, I'm putting them physically together in the room as if they're having this conversation face to face, but it comes off cheesy. It comes off Hallmark movie. The execution is not there. Yeah. For me though, I found it, it was almost like a bit of magical realism that I kind of found cute. But yes, it does come off a little cheesy. At first, you're kind of confused. Like, wait, hold on. But then you realize they're talking on the phone. And again, there's this part where Alex is watching TV and he gets a text message from him and they show Henry walking through the room Mm -hmm. as he's narrating this text message. So I like the magical realism of it. When they're having a phone call in the next scene that we're going to talk about and they're both laying on Alex's bed, And they face each other. It's almost like they're looking at each other. They're interacting. And in my opinion, that's significantly more satisfying than what they have them doing where one of them is in the periphery of like the other one's actions. And when the phone call like goes to end, Henry's voice goes from being clear and present on the screen to being this muted phone call voice. And when you enter that scene, he's on the phone and he materializes through like Pocahontas leaves. (laughs) Um, um, the colors of the wind. And then Alex turns around to shut off the phone. Mm-hmm. He hangs up and then he's no longer. And that room. makes more sense to me that I think that would be a more elegant way of, of showing them in the room together where it's like, it feels like we're in the same room. Like we're interacting. Everybody understands that idea. Everybody's had prolonged text conversations or long phone conversations where you lose the sense of where you are. Them just cutting and then showing Henry on the bed and they're interacting and then cutting and Alex is hanging up the phone and Henry's gone. Would have been perfect. That weird fucking Colors of the Wind leaf business, not perfect. (laughs) Very DCOM, very Disney Channel original movie of them. Dude, seriously, I keep saying it. So they have this like long phone conversation about turkeys. Apparently, we go through this scene where Alex feels very strongly about the amount of money that goes into the pardoning of the turkey. Next scene. At this point, we've reached Christmas. Like, it is ostensibly right after Christmas. And one thing that does bug me out, I understand why they cut it, but I think it would have contributed to the development of their relationship, is that in the book, Alex's parents are divorced. So his father serves as a senator from California, is not married to his mom and hasn't been for a long time. His mom is remarried to another man who's like wallpaper. Like, he's fine. You could take him or leave him. He doesn't do anything for the plot. In the book, they've chosen not to split up the parents, which I like personally. I think it makes more sense for the plot that the parents are married. Not that it makes more sense, just that it didn't really do anything for the plot beforehand. I think it would have just taken more screen time to explain that situation. That they were divorced. They scrapped it in the in the movie. It was one of the decisions, like one of the kind of plot restructure that I'm like, I totally get why they did that. That you were fine with. But this is one of the only plot points in the book that I think is impacted by the parents being divorced, which is that around Christmas time, Alex's dad will spend Christmas with his family at the white house, even though he and his ex-wife are divorced and Christmas almost always ends up turning contentious where he and his ex-wife will argue about something fight in front of the kids. It's like very reminiscent, I guess of the time before they got divorced and it is kind of shitty for their kids and they never enjoy it. And everybody's tense. So this happens 
Alex yells at his parents of just like, shut the fuck up. I can't believe you guys are fucking acting like this. Can we just have a goddamn Christmas? Like you're being ridiculous. He leaves dinner because he's so upset. And the only person he wants to talk to when he leaves dinner is Henry. And he calls him on the phone. They have a super long phone conversation about their mutual and different parent trauma where Henry's parent trauma is that his dad is dead. His mother has been super depressed for years because she's never really recovered after his death. And Alex's parent trauma is that his parents are both politicians. So you can imagine how fucking present they were in his life and that they're divorced and have a very contentious relationship. It's one of those moments that make you understand them as characters and their relationship evolving from we're just texting about tabloids to now there's a deeper connection. Yeah, they open up to each other. Yes, quite a lot. Yeah, and they show a little vulnerability to each other in through these conversations. And I think maybe that's why they made that turkey phone call so long. Right? Because I don't remember if that happens. The in turkey the book. phone call happens in the book. It's a long phone call Does in it? the book. Oh, is it? Okay. But okay, it's okay, okay. significantly Sorry, more so satisfying. The turkey phone call in the movie is kind of like it's like a watered down version of what they discuss in the in the book. Yeah, you know, I feel like they could have replaced this turkey phone call with the Christmas phone call. Yeah, and maybe not make it about his parents being divorced. Maybe it can be about about the campaign. Yeah, about his mom running for reelection, etc. Right, right. Anyway, so after their turkey phone call, you see that some time has passed because you see there's Christmas trees up now and they have like a little Christmas jingle playing in the background. Um, So, you know, a couple weeks have gone by. Alex walks into Zara's office. Zara is his mother's deputy chief of staff. So she is a high level staffer for his mother. He walks in to ask about, hey, yo, I sent over a yo, hey, hey, yo." yo. And in this scene, you realize Alex wants to be involved in his mom's campaign. He's put together a memo about how he thinks they can win Texas for that election, which is their home state. It's important to him that they win Texas. At this point, you realize that the campaign has kind of disregarded this because they don't see it as a state that they can win. So they're not even going to try. So he comes into the office to talk to Zara like hey did you get the memo obviously nobody's been paying attention they kind of keep brushing him off he gives her a physical copy of it and it's like hey i want you to read this i want to be involved and she's kind of like i need you to just focus on the pr this is how you're helping i need you to focus on the thing you fucked up the way you're helping is by inviting henry to your new year's eve party to your dumb little party the way you're helping is by doing this dumb little pr and having your dumb little party That's what we need you to do. Fall in line. Business as usual. He leaves. Next scene we see is the parties partying. They're having the party on the lawn under tents in the winter. In the book, this happens in a ballroom in the White House, which is what fucking makes sense. You clearly didn't care about the other set stuff. So just have it in a ballroom of a fucking Marriott hotel and then set dress it to look like the White House. I don't know. But like the tent aspect is fucking weird. I don't know if that's a thing the White House usually does. Throw a party on in the, the lawn winter. Tent. <sighs> so we're having this party in a tent in the winter. We see Alex and Nora back again Nora's outfit though I love her she looks great she looks amazing I want to call out Nora the girl who plays Nora is beautiful whoever they tasked with doing her hair shame on you you don't like her hair I like her short haircut 
No, you don't like it. You're not a fan. I love a short haircut. Either make it an even fro or make the side part make more sense. They gave her like an asymmetrical high. No, 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 no. Curly fro. I liked it. In the book, and I'm sorry, I'm going to keep doing this forever. If you're listening, you should be fine with it. But she's super alternative. Like she's very rock and roll, a little bit of like a little skater, a little emo, a little hippie, a little boho. Like she's not very polished. She'll just say shit. She's like got no filter. She's a very like brash character. And it feels like they significantly toned her down for the purpose of the movie Mm -hmm. to not take attention away from the main two characters. Because Nora is fucking cool. Nora's cool as hell. She is cool. And also in the book, she's she's gay. She's queer. In the book, she's pan. They hang out with a lot of kind of like sexually fluid or gender non-conforming people. And everywhere else with the exception of this party and one of the security agents that Alex has, who is a trans woman, everything else is kind of like, like they turn down the volume Yeah, they a mute bit. it down. Like even the guy who we meet at this party, who is Henry's best friend, his name is Pez, Pez or Percy. In the book, he's described as like Nigerian. And so I'm pretty sure they hired a Nigerian actor to play him. But Pez is supposed to be like Elton John levels of non-straight. Like not even that he's gay because he likes women, but his gender presentation is incredibly like whatever he's feeling at the moment. And it is painted nails. It's accessories. It's colored hair. It's like, you know, wearing bright colored outfits and peacocking like And it's something that's really satisfying because Henry's so buttoned up and boring. And then you meet his best friend and his best friend is the coolest person on earth. And you're like, oh. To the point where it confuses Alex in the book. Like, wait, hold on. (laughs) How does this mix? Yeah. The second they describe Pez in the book, I was like, oh, this is absolutely Shuti Gatwa, who's an actor best known for sex education. He plays the main character's very openly gay best friend. And he was also in the Barbie movie as artist Ken. And he has the perfect energy to play Pez. And he's too big of an actor now to be in such a small role. But the guy that they got to play Pez, es como demasiado macho. Yes. He's a lot more toned down. He is. But still presents like enough energy where you're like, oh, he's cool. Like he's cool and fun. Yes. But I think that they made these decisions because they wanted to give Henry and Alex more screen time. They did not invest at all in anyone else's storyline. Everyone else is just an accessory to Henry and Alex. And it's a little annoying because I feel like it shows. I would have loved a peacocking Pez, queer-ass Nora. Also, we haven't mentioned her yet, RIP, but we're missing June, who in the book, Alex has an older sister named June. They're best friends. She doesn't exist in the movie. They're best friends in the book. It's June, Alex, and Nora, and they are besties together at the hip for the entire book. And it's precious. You feel, I think, a lot of tenderness for Alex's relationship with June. It helps you understand him better, his devotion to his family more. Their relationship to their heritage more, I think, is described a little bit more deeply in the book because of June. I loved that. Obviously, as a person who's like close to my sister, that was something that like, oh, it sparked joy. I understand why they cut her character for the purposes of the movie because June and Nora do very similar things in relation to Alex. But June is an interesting character all on her own. You don't have to skimp on side characters. Like you don't. To give them depth. You don't have to. Nora was maybe on screen for 10 minutes. But I loved her. No, she was very cute. But you don't learn anything about Nora. They take her and Percy and drop them together immediately. 
You don't see the development of that. Of you don't anything. see how that affects Henry or Alex, which they should because they're part of the same friend circle. And it does in the book because Percy is like obsessed with June in the book. So then that's the joke. It's like Percy and June and then Nora's like a free agent and then mm-hmm. Alex and Henry. And like you really miss a lot of the development in the characters because their side characters are so toned down. I wish they weren't because in the book they're like very valuable. This being a miniseries... Obviously, Amazon Prime did not buy it that way. They bought it as a movie. But this being a miniseries would have fucking crushed. Would have fucking crushed. I can see it. Just getting more in depth. And I think as a miniseries, your audience range also expands because now you can talk more about the politics. Yes. Now you can get into those nitty gritty themes. But because you're pressed for time and you're pressed financially, they definitely just glaze over a lot of these topics because also these characters they play such a such a important role in the development of self-discovery for both of them for, for henry them. and alex but again maybe with them being older maybe that's another reason to also age them up is that they're more mature and can maybe come to those conclusions on their own because when you're younger you kind of need your tribe to tell you hey this is Did what's you know happening <laughs> You know, hey, these complicated feelings, I felt them when this happened and, and you know, kind of help you through that growth. So in aging them up, I guess it also allowed them to get rid of that support system because then they in turn just became their own support system to each other. So we meet Pez at the party. Nora, to me, I love her look. She's looking dope. Alex got some floral blazer on. Whatever. He's supposed to be fun, loving, freewheeling. <laughs> He's so fucking hot. Nora's looking hot. Alex is all dressed up for his New Year's Eve party. In walks in Pez, really matching Nora's energy. And I think that was intentional. I think Absolutely. They... Color palette, harmony, realness. And Henry just kind of comes in and he almost like hides behind Pez. It's like when me and Naja go out, like oh, I just it. let Naja. <laughs> Shut your fucking mouth. I let her be the, the attention. So you see Henry with his friends, Pez. Pez, off the rip, invites Nora for a drink, takes Nora with him. And now they've left Alex and Henry by themselves. And I'm almost wondering whether Pez did that on purpose. Yes. If this is something they talked about on the way there. Henry and Alex are left to hang out. And Alex is like a diff, not a different person. He's like he's drunk. always got this energy, but he's, he's had a couple drinks. He's just extra touchy feely. He hugs Henry and Henry stiffens like an ironing board. <laughs> Puts his arm around Henry and is like, yo, let's go drink. I've been drunk since Christmas. Yes, we can tell. They're chatting it up. They're like sitting in the lounge area or whatever. A girl comes and is like all over Alex. She is trying hard. Invites him to dance and they get up on the dance floor. I mean, it's bumping. The music is good. I'm like, this is what we were playing at your wedding. Like. Again, more Latinx representation. You're listening to J Balvin. You're listening to Bad Bunny. They're dancing reggaeton. Question mark? Because why the fuck are they swaying to Titi Me Pregunto? Like, where's the perreo? So a lot of times when they're filming, (laughs) they don't know what songs they're dancing to. You can tell that they were just 
swaying and they don't know what song was going to play because they're offbeat. They're, they're not like nice music. Like they don't know what's playing because it takes a lot of time to secure the rights to play some of these songs. You can tell that they were just given a general beats per minute. Like they were like, the song yeah. is probably about this fast. And everyone's like, nice. And, and it was swaying and it wasn't. But you know, as a director, you're at the height of the party. If you're at the height of the party, that means you're playing a song that has at least this many beats per minute. And guess what? You can play any reggaeton song and they're following the same beat. You could have put any beat in the background and go doom, 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 doom. Dance to that. And then you can match it up to any reggaeton song. Pretty much. But no, they're swaying. Titi me pregunto. It is brutal. And it's because frustrating. <laughs> when we danced to that shit at my wedding, I was fucking throwing it back. And that's what you're supposed to do. So, all right. Maybe they didn't know they were going to have a reggaeton song Stop. to put up there. I'll give, them, uh, I'll, I'll give them that pass. However, I cannot forgive <laughs> Let's go. that the next song they play is... Get Low by the Yin Yang Twins. <laughs> Let's go. Nobody points to the window. Nobody, Nobody points, points to, the, to wall. the wall. What are we doing? What zillennial shit is this? None of the people involved in this production were awake during the early 2000s. If you don't know, you need to point to the window and to the wall before the sweat drops down your balls. That's how it works. I have to look away anytime I'm looking at this scene because it bothers me that much. So Get Low was used in the book. It was used in the book and it's used in the movie. It's a plot point in the book where Get Low starts playing. Alex is like, this is the song of my childhood. The fuck? And that oh, is no, when I keeled I mean, over and died. Yes, okay. that's when I threw up. Ugh. And knowing the actor's at least a little bit older than me is a comfort. So he's like, let's go. This is my shit. And Henry is like, what the fuck is this song? And Alex is like, you've never heard this song before. And it's like a moment where he's trying to get Henry to dance. Henry's like very, very stiff. Knowing that from the book that they wanted to preserve that moment. They didn't do window to the wall. Maybe it's because of where we grew up. What do I know? Then they had everyone get low at the part where it says get low, which is like, yeah, I guess you would kind of do that, but not Nobody in the way that they that. did, where no. you squatted to the ground. You would, no. like, <laughs> bend over. You would Jersey Turnpike the guy behind you. Like, that was kind of what was happening. So they had all of them literally, like, drop, like, get low. And then they orchestrated it so that the only two people not getting low so that they can make romantic eye contact are Alex and, and Henry. Henry. Like, they had a choreographer. God. Choreographing What? choreographing nothing baby. a squat i'm am not a filmmaker and i say this frequently i am barely a designer so <laughs> shut up the fact that this shot bothered me so much i hate the composition they frame them symmetrically in this party where they both remain standing everyone around them squats they end up making eye contact with each other from like 20 or 30 feet away and it's supposed to be kind of this like romantic moment this realization alex is like looking at henry henry's looking at alex the fact that the composition is symmetrical the way that they frame all of it even the speed at which the scene goes annoys me this could have been done in a much more dynamic way and it could have been much more interestingly framed and composed rather than literally doing a 50% 
on the 50% vertically on the screen where they land at halfway through the screen. And then I think what becomes obvious is that the director, Matthew Lopez, this is his first feature film and his previous work has been all in theater. So he's written plays, directed plays, and that's kind of like his claim to fame. This looks incredibly staged. Well, you know what it reminds me of? What? And this shot where they kind of just notice each other in the middle of the party. Everybody starts dancing slowly around them and it's just them two. Reminds me of the West Side Story when they meet in the gym. And it's almost the exact same, like the party slows down almost to a halt, but not quite. And it's just them two in opposite sides of the screen. Like Henry's been there. He's been looking at Alex, but this is the first time Alex is seeing him in a different light. Like, wait, hold on. And it's almost like that initial meet cue you get in West Side Story when Maria and Tony see each other for the first time. I don't know if that was intentional. If it is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, but you have somebody from one side of the tracks and you got somebody else from the other side. You have this opposites attract. And it definitely gives me like Tony and Maria in this very shot. I don't know if that's what he was thinking about, but that's the feeling I got. Like in the midst of this party, it's just them two. That I like. Like, I love this, like, everyone else disappears and you're only looking at this one person. That moment of connection. I love that kind of shit. But, again, as I said, this is his first feature film. I've never been a fucking director. So I don't know what it's like to direct a movie. But I have been a person who studied art. And I know what composition is. And... I'm sure he is a person who has studied stage composition. Stage composition does not translate to film. And if you're looking at your at your scenes, at your shots, like tableaus, like paintings, the importance of the composition, like you want to move them into thirds. You're not wanting to split your screen in half. That has like a weird kind of vibe to it. As soon as I saw that scene, it bugged me. Like it rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, this could have been done so much more dynamically. Yeah, I can see how that can come off almost as lazy right there you don't feel like there's a lot of creativity to do that and very straightforward to avoid calling it lazy it's straightforward i just don't want to imply that this filmmaker is lazy i would watch another thing he directed i want to support latin american filmmakers that's dope but like i could see that shot working amazingly on a stage and not working on film i think there's storytelling behind this shot in one opposites attract two they're seeing each other for the first time like seeing each other and three there's still like this space. They still have so far to go. There's still so much between them. So like showing like there's this gap between them. There's this gap between them in understanding and who they are. They have a ways to go to get close to each other. Right. In that sense, the symbolism, I like it. Visually, the shot really bugged like me. As a person, I just like more interesting composition than that. Honestly, it felt cheesy is what it yeah. felt. So fine. In the book, right? Alex is drunk. In the movie, Alex is drunk. He's like so much flirtier at New Year's because I think in his mind, they've passed this threshold where they're like now friendly and like they've had these deep conversations Mm -hmm. and they're like cool. They're cool with each other. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, oh, my my friend, we're cool. I'm drunk. I don't give a shit. Damn, he looks really good, but I'm not gay or anything. And like... Henry is still he's not he's not drunk yet he's still very buttoned up he's kind of like really resisting because I I think he doesn't want to give in 
too much to how flirty Alex is because Alex is flirty with everyone. That's emphasizing the book. He's flirty with Nora. He's flirty with random girls. He's flirty with elder people. He's flirty with men. So like his persona, it doesn't necessarily convey he's attracted to you. It's just, this is his personality. So Henry's confusion in that vein makes like a lot more sense in the movie. It's kind of like, he's not all that flirty. He's just kind of regular. And I can tell how that would appeal. Yes. Yeah. He's just being friendly. You feel like that would appeal to a more general viewer, which I get. But then like some moments, oh, maybe he's like a little bit less guarded, but some moments like where Alex grabs his hips and tries to get him to dance. When and he's like, like, oh, ah. dancing is easy. It's all in the hips. And then proceeds to grab the grab. man by his hips and sway and him. him around. Yeah. I mean, I loved that part. <laughs> it makes that more surprising. It kind of pairs that back where I think it's actually really fun. And I think Taylor Zakar Perez, if anybody could do it, he would be able to toe that line perfectly. And he did a very good job. I wish he had had more. Like, I wish he had had more of like a little zest and you don't really know what the fuck is happening. And then Henry sees him making out with a girl. And then he's like, oh, shit. (laughs) Well, no, I think that's the hip line. He gets more personal with touch. And so that's what creates a little bit of whatever. And then they intentionally are not showing too much because they want you as the viewer to kind of guess and be like, wait, hold on. What is what was that? Like, what's he doing? What's he doing? Like, he has this masculine energy. Like, what is this about? And I think there's this moment, though, when it comes time to do the countdown. At this point, Henry's already let loose. He's, he has a bottle of champagne. Yeah, in his yeah he's got champagne in his hand. He's having a good time. He's smiling. He's having fun. They're doing the countdown. They count down to one happy new year. And then random girls just run up on Alex and then they kiss him. The new year's kiss. Right. And they literally like take turns making out with Could him. Could not be me. Sorry. And you see instantly the effect it has on Henry. And he's like, Oh, shit. You almost get like this disappointment in his face. Like, what the fuck? Like, and he almost looks like he's going to be sick. Like he. he, Yeah, he looks like he's going to throw up. So by this expression, you understand like he was clocking something else. And then he sees this. He was hoping for something else. Yes, he was hoping for something else. Now he sees this and he's taken aback and is like, oh, shit, I'm I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, because I think before the countdown, there's like something like hope on Henry's face. Like there is exactly. It's not, oh, hope that he's going to kiss me. But I think there's hope of like, he's been hanging out with me all night. Right. He tried to get me to dance. I'm a little drunk He pulled them up to dance. They're having a good good time. He's not good at it. Neither of them are. You can't tell me that either of them are good at dancing because they're not. They have the moment where they just look at each other across the dance floor and they have, you know, they kind of zero in on each other. And I think that's where Henry's like, okay, there might be a chance. Maybe Mm. to the viewer, you're kind of like, oh shit. Okay. There's something here. You're not a hundred percent sure where Alex lies, but by now, you know where Henry's at. Yeah, that's true. Especially when you see his reaction after the girls make out with Alex, especially because Alex is like, he's loose. He's just having a good time. These girls make out with him. Henry's right in front of him. And he just like stops making out with him and looks at Henry and like smiles like <laughs> being young and hot's crazy. <laughs> and like, and Henry's just like, I'm going to fucking vomit. Like I need to leave this room. 
and he runs outside. Alex sees this and he's like, oh shit, what the fuck happened? He runs after him and finds him like under a tree, super somber. And it's like, dude, what the fuck just happened? What did I do? Henry really doesn't respond, right? Alex is like, have I done something wrong? And Henry's like, what kind of person would you be if you weren't in the public eye? Like he gets cryptic a little bit. Absolutely. He gets super cryptic. He's in his feelings for sure. And Alex is like a touch too drunk to like understand cryptic. And he's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I used to be an anonymous person until my mom fucking became president. So like, I remember being in there, done that. What would you? Exactly. And he's like, what about you? And Henry's like, I'd be a writer. And Alex is like, cool. And he's like, and you know, I'd probably date more. And Alex is like, fuck off. Like you can date whoever you want. You're a fucking fucking prince. prince. His line is, people I date don't interest me, and the people who interest me, I can't date. And then Alex is like, what the fuck are you talking about, my guy? Make a little sense. The next line, it was featured in the trailer. I think it's kind of a popular line. Henry goes, Christ, you're as thick as it gets, and grabs Alex's face, makes out with it. And it's fucking great. And it's such a good kiss. It's a great kiss. One thing that you see is like right away... This man grabs like his whole head, hands through his hair. They both have lovely hair. They both have fabulous hair. And when you see, for me, when I'm seeing like the way he grabs this man, I'm like, this man has been thinking about this man's hair for months. He has been wanting to grab and pull his hair for all of eight weeks just to see what it's like. Yo, and Alex kisses him back. Alex kisses him back hard. He fully just goes with it. And I don't know what happened, but Henry pulls back at one point. Maybe he just freaks out. Like, what the fuck am I doing? I think he almost freaks out more that Alex is kissing him back because then he's afraid. Him doing it and Alex being like, whoa, dude, like, that's not really my vibe. I don't see you like that. He would be really fucking embarrassed, but that's his confirmation. Okay, I misjudged that. Him kissing him and Alex kissing him back is like, oh, no. Like, you're almost more afraid of the thing that you want than you are of not getting it. Maybe. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they break apart and Henry just leaves. Fucking jets. And he just leaves Alex standing there by himself, dumbfounded. Alex is like, what the fuck just happened? He's like, what the fuck just happened? Can I have more, please? Can I have (laughs) some more, please? So then next scene is him trying to text him. Henry has essentially ghosted him. He ghosts him in the book. At no point, not even in the book, and obviously not in the movie, there's no point where Alex rejects him. He just kind of decides for himself, oh, shit. Oh, no. Fuck, I did this thing. Oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. And then removes himself from the situation to the point where he stops texting him. He stops calling him. He stops like, answering his phone calls. Like, he wants it to erase. And Alex's energy in the book, I think, is so chaotic throughout the entire book. Like, he's like a go, 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 never sleeps, tons of fucking coffee, always on edge type of person. Again, he's older in the movie. It makes sense that they make him less that way. But I do miss that, like, crackle of energy on him because he gets so worked up from Henry not responding to him. Mm -hmm. Text him, text him, text him. Henry won't respond. He's like, what the fuck? God damn it. That fiery energy, me personally, I love and I love on a man. 
I feel like that energy is usually put onto women who are then painted as crazy of like, she's so much because she like talks loud and laughs or something. I knows how to read like with, um, with men, men are always the ones who are like playing it cool and like really chill and stuff. And Alex has no chill for a moment. And that's kind of one of the reasons you like him. Like you are rooting for him because you know that he's a fucking intense person. And a little bit of that intensity is like cut down in the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's all good intensity, though. That's why. It is. Like, it's all, like, it he is. has a very positive... Because he just wants to help. He's like, oh, he just wants to do stuff. He has all these great feelings, and he needs to everyone to know. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like, he just wants to help, and he's so funny and cool, and everyone needs to hear about it. And, you know, the outlet for that in the book is his sister and Nora, but we're missing his sister. We don't spend as much time with Nora in the movie. And mm-hmm. so Alex goes to Nora after this new year's eve like kiss again he's like a little bit more vulnerable which is something that i do like in the movie he's like dude what's like the over under on me being bi (laughs) what's the over under on henry being gay and nora's like what the fuck my dude what's going on and he's like henry kissed me and nora is negative fucking surprised it's almost like she knew and she was just waiting for him to tell her in the movie when she finds out she's like yes finally Alex is like, what the fuck, man? What do you mean? And Nora's like, um, anyone with eyes can tell Henry's gay, but he's a prince. And so he can't do a lot about that. She was like, and you're you. So like, no one can really fucking pin you down. And it doesn't surprise me that like, this is happening. She was like, you text him all the time. You make moo cow eyes at your phone. You're like calling him on the phone at all hours of the night. You guys are hanging out now. Apparently it's gone beyond bromance. You like each other. Like it's not hard to see. Mm-hmm. And Nora is supposed to be just like telling it straight. And she's catching Alex like totally by surprise. Alex and is, Alex like, is like, what do you mean? Cause I call him when I can't sleep means I like like him (laughs) no and he even goes he's like you know fine i i can get with um low level into guys because he has experimented he has and he admits that readily yeah he does and he's like but like why the fuck do i like him like obviously this person that he's hated for so long and nora's like well what do you mean you've been obsessed with him for years right you think it's been anger but there's more She's like, you've been obsessed with him for years. Alex is like, no, fuck no. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she goes, you've been wanting him to dick you down forever. (laughs) And in my notes, I wrote, and you know what, Alex? Same. (laughs) And as they're talking about this, Nora asks him, did you like the kiss? Did you kiss him back? What are you feeling? Clearly, you're still thinking about it. So it's bothering you. And he's like, It was nice. Like, he doesn't go into how nice it was. You could see with your eyes while they were kissing how nice it was. And Nora's like, it was nice, really? That's what we're doing now? You're not telling me how it was? And he's like, he grabbed my hair in a way that made me understand the difference between rugby and football. (laughs) Shoot. And I'm like, what does that mean? I I feel like whatever it was, it was intense. Yeah, whatever it was, Because what the fuck is the difference between rugby and football? It looks the same. Well, I think rugby is football with like a lot more injuries. (laughs) So it's a funny scene. It's a funny representation of their friendship, I think. But it's kind of a similar thing where we're really all of the focus is on Alex and Nora gets no character development. Right, right, right. Nora gets nothing. She's just there to help Alex figure himself out. And in the book, she's so much more interesting than that. Well, no. And I think Nora is also representing kind of what his loved ones in the book think 
dude, you're the only one that doesn't know you're queer. We've been known. We've been waiting for you to do this thing on your own. We've just been giving you time. But even in the book as a reader, when he's going through like this inner monologue after the kiss, like, and he's kind of accepting that he did enjoy it and why he enjoyed it and he's like but i'm straight he starts going through this inner monologue where you're like in what world my guy did you think you were straight it, it was almost like he was in denial he's kind right. of like life is really complicated and this is another thing that complicates it more and i don't want to invite that i'm just gonna have girlfriends because i like girls i don't need to investigate this further yeah like, Nora asks, like, you know, have you been with other men? This is where we find out that Alex has, like, messed around with, not, like, fully had sex or anything, but, like, messed around with other men. One of them being that really horny fucking reporter. Two men, he's said he's messed around with someone in high school and this really horny reporter. And Nora's like, oh, okay. Like, that tracks. That makes sense. And she asks him, like, when are you going to see Henry again? And Alex is like, well, Henry's supposed to be a guest at this big state dinner we're having with the prime minister next month. And Nora's like, all right, then if he's not texting you, he's probably really nervous. And of course, Nora is right. And she's like, wait until the state dinner and you'll get your answer. And Alex is like, all right, fine. And now we're going to cut off and continue another day. So now we have Alex who's going through a semi-identity crisis. He's realized that Prince Henry is into him and that he might be into Prince Henry. So join us for the next episode as we continue to break down this relationship. Let's see what happens next. How are Alex and Henry going to get past this moment or into this moment? Thank you for listening. Don't forget to go vote today. It is your civic duty. If you like what you've heard and you want to hear more, please leave a review anywhere you get your podcast. Come and find us on Instagram at Podcast. Shoot us an email at at gmail.com and let us know what you think and if you have any suggestions or movie requests for us to cover in the future. Tune in to part two to see where this story goes.